Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Indians 3, the Tampa Bay Rays 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And hey, just a shout out to all the fans out there. Thank you so much for listening to my uh, my Cleveland Guardians episode. That episode definitely uh, reached a lot of you, a lot of my morning people. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to that. I'd love to hear your reactions to that. Uh, it was definitely our most listened to episode of the entire week. And so I'd love to hear your reactions and everything because, I mean, Twitter... Twitter is mostly a bunch of angry people shouting at each other. So if you do have any discourse, anything you want to say, email the show, Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Did I, did I capture the moment properly? Um, yeah, I'd love to hear your feedback. So uh, Mornings at gmail.com. All right, let's get into the storylines of this game. And the storyline of this game is sliders no not the mascot the pitch sliders this whole game came down to sliders and we will get into Tristan McKenzie and Ryan Yarbrough and uh, what happened earlier in the game but I mean the true heart of this game the true storyline in the game lies in the eighth inning right Karinchek gets through the eighth inning uh, for the Indians, he labors a little bit, throws 22 pitches, does walk someone, but gets out of the inning. The Indians come up down 2-1 to one in the eighth inning, and they bring in Matt Whistler from the bullpen. Now, Matt Whistler is someone that they acquired from San Francisco earlier in the season. Uh, he pitched 21 games for San Francisco. He's now pitched 17 games for Tampa Bay. And Whistler, when you go over to his percentile rankings, is one of the most dominant relievers in all of baseball. In hard hit percentage, he's in the 96th percentile. That means limiting hard hits when you're looking at a pitcher's percentile rankings. Expected weighted on base percentage, 94th percentile. Expected ERA, 94th percentile. Expected batting average, 90th percentile. K percentage, 92nd percentile. Whiff percentage, 87th percentile. This guy is dominating. He is just in the red in almost every category. And how does he do it? He does it with his slider. He does it with this ridiculous slider that's gotten him a batting average against of 219. Now, meanwhile, people are hitting his fastball for a batting average of 214. However, however, the expected batting average against his fastball is 310, where the expected batting average against his slider is even lower, 172. So there's a little bit of uh, bat bip, obviously influencing the true batting average outcomes. So yeah, this pitch, is this a trend? It is definitely a trend. Last year, in the shortened season in 2020, they were hitting 143 off of his slider, 286 off of his fastball. And because of this, his slider uses, usage has just grown out of control. I mean, he has thrown the slider now 89.9% of the time, 90% of the time, he is throwing a slider. 
10% of the time, it's a four-seam fastball. He used to throw a sinker. He used to throw a curve. He used to throw a changeup. I mean, back when he broke into the league, he threw the slider about 23% of the time. The next season is 28% of the time. 2017, it jumps up to 37% of the time. Then he's at 47% of the time in 2018. Now it gets crazy. 2019, it's taken off 70.5% of the time. 2020, 83.4% of the time. And obviously up to 90% now. So yeah, it is absolutely taken off. And the run value of this pitch has been dominant for most of his career. Last year, it was at a minus 10 run value. One of the best pitches in baseball. This year, it's actually at a plus three run value, so not as dominant when it comes to that. But like I said, all the percentile rankings have them off the chart. Now, why am I telling you all this information about Matt Whistler's slider, a guy who doesn't even pitch for our team? Because he comes into the eighth inning, and he throws slider after slider after slider after slider to the Indians hitters, and the Indians hitters were ready for it. He throws him, He throws Cesar Hernandez to lead off the inning five sliders in a row. Misses way hide with the first one. Drops the second one in the strike zone for a strike. The third one he misses in, so it's a 2-1 count. The fourth one is on the plate. He fouls it off. So now he's got a 2-2 count on Cesar Hernandez. Throws one right down the pipe. And Cesar Hernandez is able to shoot it through to right field for a single. 94.2 mile per hour exit velocity. I mean, all he showed him was sliders, and he was able to sit on it and sit on it and sit on it and shoot one through the right side. Uh, take an aggressive swing at it, too. 94.2 exit velocity, and he pulls it through the right side. So that's an aggressive swing there from Cesar Hernandez. Next batter, Ahmed Rosario. Throws him five sliders in a row. He's fouling off sliders on the outside edge of the plate staying alive until he finally tries a forcing fastball and hits him in the hands. So now he's got runners at first and second, and it brings up Harold Ramirez. First slider is in the strike zone on the outside. He fouls it off. Next one is down. He lays off it for a ball. Next one is outside, but he fouls it off. Next one is in the zone. At the bottom of the zone, it's actually a really good pitch. It's in the zone, bottom outside corner, and he's able to shoot it out into right field. You know Harold Ramirez doesn't swing easy at anything. 107.4 mile per hour exit velocity. Was that the hardest hit ball of the entire day? Um, Going over to the scoreboard here, it was the third hardest hit ball of the day. Arena and Yandy Diaz both had harder hits. So uh, there you go there. So Harold Ramirez shoots this thing into right center field. It's cut off by a Rosarena. Cesar Hernandez comes around to score to tie the game. Ahmed Rosario hustles all the way into third. And Harold Ramirez was just sitting on outside sliders. He didn't even try to throw him and, you know, sneak one on the inside on him. It was all on the same vertical plane. Um... So yeah, so Harold Ramirez was just able to sit on these sliders. And I'm sitting here at home. uh, The broadcast team is talking about it. They're talking about how you know a slider is coming. I knew a slider was coming. And I'm sitting here thinking, how is Whistler, Weisler, so effective 
if everybody knows what pitch is coming. And he's just able to sit on it. And even the foul balls, I think, were going to the opposite field. He was just trying to shoot that thing to the opposite field. If you keep throwing a righty sliders away, they're going to keep looking to put it into the opposite field. Bobby Bradley comes up, and he throws him three sliders away. The first one misses way high. The second one misses low. The third one is in the zone, and Bobby Bradley sends it out to deep center field, 95.4 mile per exit velocity. In fact, they're lucky. The Rays were lucky that Bobby Bradley didn't get a better hold of this one. He got under it a little bit, 37-degree launch angle. If that launch angle is down in the 20s, that ball is at least off the wall gone for a home run because he has the power to do that. But he gets under it a little bit, but with the runner at third base, and it was so nice to see someone take an intelligent swing with a runner at third base in less than two outs. Uh, it's a sack fly to Kevin Kiermeyer. Ahmed Rosario flies home, scores the go-ahead run. And it's all because of Weisler's slider. And Kevin Kiermeyer actually made a decent throw from center field. I was surprised that they threw home. I mean, Ahmed Rosario flies. There was no way they were going to get him. But Kiermeyer threw a strike from center field. That was an, actually a really impressive throw. Uh, and Harold Ramirez moves up to second. Now, that is where the uh, the inning would stall out because they would bring in Sean Poppin out of the bullpen instead. And he's going with the hard sinker. And he's going with the hard stuff. So he gets a ground out from Daniel Johnson. And then he gets Roberto Perez strikeout swinging. On the slider, by the way. A slider way outside uh, that he chased twice in a row. Um, after being ahead 2-0 in the count. Just chased a bunch of stuff outside. That's nice. Um, so Roberto Perez ends that inning. And that brings in Emmanuel Classe to pitch the ninth inning. And if you think I'm done talking about the slider, you are out of your mind. Because, and I tweeted this out, it felt like Emmanuel Classe, it felt like they've been sitting on his cutter. The 100 miles per hour isn't fooling them anymore. They've kind of been sitting on his cutter. He's kind of had a couple of rough outings. And uh, he's facing a pretty good part of their lineup here. He's facing some powerful hitters here in the ninth inning. Karinchek faced the heart of the order in the eighth inning. He had G-Man Choi, Nelson Cruz, Austin Meadows, and Yandy Diaz. So Klasse is facing the bottom of the order here. But there's no breaks in the Tampa Bay lineup. He's facing Wander Franco, Joey Wendell, and Brandon Lau. And... He ends up walking a full count against Wander Franco. He ends up throwing, I'll tell you overall, he ends up throwing 11 sliders and three cutters in this outing. So that is 79% slider. And if I go over to the illustrator here, he did not throw one single slider in the strike zone. Not one single slider in the strike zone and they could not stop swinging at it because they thought that that cutter was coming at any second. I mean, when it's a 90-mile-per-hour slider and a 100-mile-per-hour cutter, and he attacks those left-handed hitters inside, they think these things are going to be a cutter until the bottom falls out on them. And it was incredibly effective. Uh, he fouls one off. He lays one off. This is Wander Franco in his first at-bat. He swings through one, so now he's down in the count one and two. He lays off another one, then fouls off one in the exact... I mean, these are in the exact same location. So he lays off one, he swings at the next. He lays off one, he swings at the next. Lays off one, swings at the next. 
lays off the six slider, finally throws him a high and tight cutter off the plate, and he uh, grounds out to Yu Chang at first base. That is a that is incredible. I mean, I don't know what made Wander Franco want to swing at half of those. They were all in the same location. Joey Wendell comes up. These were some good sliders to Joey Wendell. He lays off the first one for a ball, swings at the next two, cannot touch him, and then foul tips the fourth one into the glove of Roberto Perez for a strikeout. Um, those were a little bit more. The first one missed inside. The other two definitely started on the plate, and then the bottom fell out of them. So you get why Wendell was chasing those, as opposed to Wander Franco's, which were a little bit lower. Um, Brandon Lau then starts him off with a swinging strike uh, with a slider down, down and in. Same thing he did to uh, Joey Wendell. Then he actually tries to throw him a cutter, uh, misses low with it, throws him another cutter, honestly, right down the middle of the plate. I don't even know why he threw this pitch. Luckily, he lines it to, to uh, Harold Ramirez in left field, 95.8 mile per hour exit velocity, for the final out of the game. So Emmanuel Classe slider, that is clearly, clearly a game plan that he had worked up with Roberto Perez, with uh, pitching coach Carl Willis, to say, look, I'm going to go out there and I am going to let the slider work today. And uh, it was incredibly, incredibly effective. The CSW on the slider, seven swings, five whiffs, plus two foul balls, no balls put in play. It's good for a 45% CSW on that slider. Uh, The cutter, uh, he only threw three of them. Two were swung at, two were put in play. It's a 0% CSW on the cutter. The other one was a ball. So yeah, so that shows you right there uh, how good of a game plan it was to use that slider for Emmanuel Classe. All right, what else happened in this game? I already told you about the rally the Indians used to come back and win this thing. Um, of course, Tristan McKenzie gets, gets into trouble in the first inning, ends up giving up a first inning run. Uh, Randy Rosarena, the leadoff hitter of the game, comes around to score, but he's able to settle down, and it turns into quite the pitching duel between McKenzie and Ryan Yarbrough. Yarborough goes seven innings, five hits, one earned run, one walk, six strikeouts. He does give up a home run to the first batter of the game. Cesar Hernandez continues his most powerful season of his career with a leadoff home run. And it was really the top of the Indians lineup that was doing anything yesterday. Hernandez was two for four. Ahmed Rosario was uh, two for three. And uh, Harold Ramirez with the big RBI hit in the eighth inning. Uh, I mean, that was it. There were not a lot of hits. There were only seven hits total for the Indians. Mercado chipped in one that did nothing, and Ernie Clement had one earlier in the game that did nothing. Uh, so, yeah, it was uh, Bobby Bradley's sack fly. Uh, it wasn't a hit. It was a sack fly from Bobby Bradley that was the final run. Tristan McKenzie on the other side, six innings pitched, five hits, two earned runs, only one walk, which is huge, six strikeouts for him. He did give up a solo home run in Nelson Cruz. It was a high fastball that Cruz just got on top of and lined it into center field, lined it into center field for a go-ahead home run at the time, at the time. Uh, Tristan McKenzie only gave up six hard-hit balls on 87 pitches. So honestly, that's really good for McKenzie. And McKenzie, since May, 
has been Jekyll and Hyde out there. I mean, one start, it's incredible. One start, it's awful. Going back to May 21st against the Minnesota Twins, McKenzie only lasts three and a third inning, two hits, six runs because of five walks. The next time he goes out against the Tigers, he goes five innings, only one hit, no runs, three walks still, but five strikeouts. No runs in his next outing. Then against the White Sox on the May 31st, he does last five and a third, only gives up four hits, five runs. Remember, those runs came early. No home runs, two walks, 10 strikeouts in that one. That was the game where he struck out all those batters in a row. So, I mean, what do you make of that outing? He has one outing in June on June 12th. He only goes two-thirds of an inning, gives up no hits, but four walks. Doesn't strike out anybody, gives up a run um, because of the four walks, and he's out of the game. That was his only start in June. Then he comes back in July against the Kansas City Royals before the All-Star break. Looks fantastic. Seven innings pitched, one-hit baseball, no runs, one walk, nine strikeouts, a dominant outing before the All-Star break. Starts after the break against Houston. Gets beat up by Houston, but hey, it's Houston. Four innings pitched, eight hits, five earned runs. He does give up two home runs in that one, but he limits the walks. Only one walk and three strikeouts. Then yesterday against Tampa Bay, does a really good job. It's a no decision, but the six innings pitched, five hits, two earned runs. The one solo home run given up, one walk, and six strikeouts. So it's really a good performance from Tristan McKenzie. And what was he throwing in this game? Threw the four-seam fastball a lot. Had good success with the curveball, though. Really good success with the curveball. Did okay with the slider. 12 swings, 4 whiffs on the slider. The slider had a CSW of 28%. The curveball had a CSW of 50%. The fastball had a CSW of 24%. But he did get 14 foul balls on that, which really helped. All three pitches... Kept the exit velocity down in the 80s on all three pitches. Averaging 88.1 mile per hour exit velocity on the day. So that's really good. They weren't really teeing off on any given pitch from Tristan McKenzie. So it's a really good day from him. And the defense helped out. The defense was huge. Going back to that fourth inning, um, there were some really strong defensive plays here. Yandy Diaz would line out to center field, 109.9 mile per hour exit velocity, easily the hardest hit ball of the day, 382 feet, a 690 expected batting average, but Bradley Zimmer, the big guy patrolling center field, reaches up and snags it, saves definitely extra bases from Yandy Diaz, which would be important because Wander Franco would double Joey Wendell would then single into right field. Mercado did a great job of scooping and coming up firing. And they respect Mercado's arm. They respect him enough that they held Wander Franco at third base. He's only able to move up one base on the Joey Wendell single. That would have been a big run, a pivotal moment of the game. And then McKenzie strikes out Francisco Mejia to end the threat. So he gets some help from his defense And then he locks it down to end that fourth inning. That was a huge inning in this game. Then a little bit later in the game, the next time Yandy Diaz is up, this time it's only an 80.9 mile per hour line drive. This time it's to right field to Oscar Mercado. It had an 8 
40 expected batting average. But Oscar Mercado is able to come in, dives forward, and snags another hit from Yandy Diaz. And Diaz absolutely could not believe it. So that is the story of the game. MVP for the day. I actually want to give it to Emmanuel Classe on this one. I was just such a good outing from him. Such a good, strong game plan to end the game on 14 pitches. One strikeout. It was a it was a really good save from Emmanuel Classe after the Indians had just taken the lead in the bottom of the eighth inning. So a little bit of progressive field magic there coming back late in a game. You'll love to see it. And Classe gets MVP for the day from me. All right, there is a little bit of national news going on. The San Diego Padres, they acquired second baseman Frazier from the Pittsburgh Pirates. So that is probably one of the biggest trades so far of the trade season. He's an all-star. He's a guy It took a long time to get to that all-star status, but he's definitely someone that can hit. He, I think he leads baseball in hits. Yeah, he's got 125 hits. Trey Turner for Washington is second at 122. Cedric Mullins, we know him well from Baltimore, is at 118. Uh, Takes a while. I'll tell you, a Cleveland player is not in the top 25 um, when it comes to hits. So that is a big get for the San Diego Padres. They give up uh, three prospects to get him, although from... Baseball Twitter, they made it sound like these prospects weren't, you know, the prize gems of the the, uh, Padres organization. And then the other big news is that Byron Buxton has officially turned down the Minnesota Twins contract extension offer. Apparently, they were offering something around $80 over seven years, which does seem like a pretty low value. Um, Buxton is a guy who has the talent, the talent to be one of the faces of the American League, but dude cannot stay on the field. He can't stay healthy. And you gotta be wondering, I mean, the Twins probably thought they can get a big discount because of his injury history saying, look, this is, this is really good money we're offering you here. You know, you're going to have some serious security. If you can get hurt tomorrow, and your career could be over with the way you get hurt, Byron Buxton. So, you know, take $80 million. But no, he's clearly looking, clearly looking for one of these big Tatis, Trout, Lindor size contracts. Maybe. I don't know, maybe. We don't we haven't heard what's come from his camp. He just turned down this offer. So does it mean the twins might consider trading him now? Just like the Indians were forced to trade Lindor. You know, you, you don't want to get some some value for this player that they drafted second overall many years ago. A guy that took a while to blossom, but has blossomed into a really good baseball player. So the Byron Buxton situation continues in Minnesota. That's the national news. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. It was a fun win for the Cleveland Indians. They needed it. They needed to stay above the 500 line uh, to stay in contention in that wild card. It's a big win for them. They have an off day. And then we've got St. Louis coming into town for two. Um, It's going to be Quantrill against Wainwright on Tuesday night. And it's going to be Plesak against Kim on Wednesday 
day game. So it's going to be a quick two games against St. Louis before another off day. And we go to Chicago for a big matchup with the White Sox. So with the off day tomorrow, the show, Cleveland Baseball Mornings, will be off. We'll come back. We'll be back Wednesday morning to talk about that St. Louis game and talk about Quantrill. So you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I'm serious about those Guardians emails. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear what you thought about what I said. You know, did I strike a chord with you? You know, did I, did I, did I nail it? Um, or do you have some problems with the things I said? I'm open to all of it. We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Cleveland Baseball Morning.